Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I was planning on doing The Matrix for the episode today, but I decided I wanted to do Brave New World first. So The Matrix will be um, the podcast after the next one. So I'm not skipping The Matrix altogether. I'm just doing uh, Brave New World before I do The Matrix. Um, One of the reasons I wanted to do Brave New World first is that um, it is something that was written much, much earlier than The Matrix, Uh, So it falls in a little earlier in the 20th century. Uh, Huxley wrote the Brave New World in uh, roughly 1931, in about four to six weeks, I think, is all it took to write it. And it was published in 1932. And one of the things about this is this is uh, one of those uh, novels that people have wondered, you know, how close to predicting the future was he? Uh, the, there's kind of been a debate back and forth who was closer uh, with predicting the way the future was going to be, uh, Huxley or George Orwell with 1984. And there are people that line up in both camps. I tend to think they both got it, um, just with different types of societies. Uh, Orwell was more on the money with um, uh, more communist uh, dictatorships, um, Whereas I think Huxley was much more on the money with uh, more of the capitalist systems. Um, so I want to go into talking about some of the uh, elements of the book and how they do or do not play into modern life. A lot of times when people do uh, an analysis of a book, they give you kind of the, the summary of the main events of the book. And I'm not going to do that because... Uh, a lot of people are already familiar with the events of the book, and you can actually just go to Wikipedia and it'll give you a, a plot summary of the book. So that's not really something that you couldn't find easily on your own. So what I want to do is stick to the main issues of the book. Um, first of all, the, the quote that, um, or the title of the book, Brave New World, actually comes from The Tempest. And if you remember, we've done a couple of episodes on The Tempest. And part of why I did that was because The Tempest really is an influential work and inspired lots of other works that came after it. Um, it, It's considered one of Shakespeare's more important plays. And here again is a place where uh, some of the inspiration, at least the inspiration for the title, comes from uh, some lines in The Tempest. Uh, In The Tempest, uh, when Miranda, uh, Prospero's daughter, sees you know, the people that are shipwrecked, she's kind of looking at them in amazement because she's never, she's never seen other people. She's seen her father, she's seen Ariel, she's seen Caliban, and that's all she's known on the island. So these people are all new to her, and they're wonderful and marvelous. Well, Prospero kind of knows what these people actually are, so he he sees them from a different light. But Miranda's lines are, oh wonder, how many goodly creatures are, are there here? How beauteous mankind is, O brave new world, that such a people are in it, that has such a such people in it. Um, so it kind of is opening up a new world for her, um, but it's not a new world that is as wonderful as she thinks. And I think that's part of why Huxley picked that title, because, you know, when he writes Brave New World, it, it looks at the surface like he's going to write another book about a utopian society, but what he's actually writing is a, is a dystopian society. Uh, one of his big problems is he feels that, you know, 
and going off of the research of different psychologists and so, social uh, sociologists um, that, you know, cruelty and torture and, uh, you know, fear only goes so far. And this is way, the way that Orwell set up his society, that it was run by these things. Um, Huxley sees there, you know, gets from the psychologist that there are much better ways of controlling people's minds, of controlling their behavior. Um, they, you know, psychologists had learned that negative and positive reinforcement between the two, positive reinforcement has much longer lasting impact. It has a much uh, bigger influence on behaviors. And so he sets up a dystopian society that if you read it from the surface, it sounds like, well, this is a perfect place. I wouldn't mind living there. And he kind of shows this isn't quite the case because there it isn't as great and wonderful as it appears to be. And when I read this, I can't help but get echoes of, from Thus Spoke Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, his idea of the last man, when he's talking about the last man. And, and basically Nietzsche's idea of the last man is it's, you know, when people are just living for comfort and ease, they don't want to do anything difficult anymore. They don't want to think. They don't want to struggle. They just want to basically be contented cattle. And this society that Huxley shows is really a society that is set up to be contented cattle. Um, and he bases this not, off of, not only off of psychology, but he also read a book um, about Henry Ford uh, that, that kind of inspired this as well. In fact, uh, wise sayings are called uh, Fordisms, and the, you know, the date is marked AF for after Ford. Uh, and it, it's very much a society that he witnessed when he came to America. Now, Huxley was a, you know, a British citizen who traveled to America and kind of saw America. And like a lot of the other writers that we've talked about, he saw how commercial and, and mechanical and, and superficial it could be. And this is one of the things that he really got a sense of was that, you know, the assembly line, uh, you know, dehumanized work. It made work something that was, um, turned people more into machines than craftsmen. And this is one of the, this is, he wasn't the first to make this criticism about um, the factory system. You know, the, the criticism was made early on that, yes, the factory system is much more efficient, but it took people who used to be craftsmen and reduced them to parts of a machine. And in this society, everyone is very much a part of a machine, um, to the to the down to the fact that they're all created in you know uh, uh, what do you call it a, a, a factory assembly line system. Um, they're actually producing you know different classes of people. Um, you've got the you know the upper the highest upper class, the alphas. They're supposed to be the best looking, the smartest. Um, and they're bred to be that way. And not only bred to be that way, but there's certain things they do with the um, fetuses while they're in the developmental stage that ensure, you know, they're going to turn out better. They make sure they get plenty of oxygen, plenty of nutrition, you know, all of the perfect conditions. Um, and also starting with, uh, you know, the genetic stock that they consider to be perfect. Um, 
and the the levels go down from there till you get all the way down to the uh, basically the epsilons who are bred to be uh, basically doing the work that no one would want to do. Um, they're bred to be not very bright. They're bred to be um, very much just able to do uh, menial labor, and they're they're kind of programmed uh, to feel that that's a good thing, that that's what makes them happy. He goes into a lot about all of the ways, both before the fetuses are born and the way they're raised and socialized afterwards, of how to kind of turn these people into, uh, you know, perfect members of whatever their level of society is. Um, they even use <clears throat> a lot of uh, discouragement to keep them from uh, interacting with people of different levels. So, you know, they're they're taught that if you're an alpha, you only hang around and, and really spend much time with other alphas. You spend time with betas when when you have to, uh, when, when, you know, work requires it. But for the most part, you're completely segregated from each other. And this isn't something that um, Huxley came up with. There, there was a, a lot of thought put into what's known as eugenics back in the um, 19-teens, 1920s, 1930s. Uh, and this isn't just something that the Nazis got into. This is something that the United States got into and lots of other countries got into. The idea that um, you should only allow certain people to breed. You should only breed certain types of people together. Uh, people that were considered uh, undesirable, um, either because they were uh, had physical or mental illnesses, or um, they were promiscuous or troublemakers, um, those people were often sterilized. And this is something that was done in the United States. This isn't just something that was done in Nazi Germany. Uh, this was done in quite a few Western countries. So part of, you know, where he gets this idea isn't, you know, complete fantasy made up out of nowhere about these people being bred to be different classes of people, this is actually in line with eugenics that was, um, that was a, big, uh, a big topic of debate and a big uh, thing that was being pushed for by some of the members of the scientific community. Now, after the Nazis in Germany, it sort of fell out of favor, but there were still instances up through the 1970s of people being um, sterilized uh, without them knowing. And there was even uh, stories that came out in 2019 about uh, immigrants at the border um, that had been um, basically sterilized and not told about it uh, in the United States. This isn't something that happened long ago in another country. This is something that reports came out of as late as 2019. So there is a lot of um, real history behind the things he's writing. He's not just making this stuff up and, and being silly. These were already a lot of these things in play by the time he writes this, and he's kind of trying to predict how far these things will go, how much they'll go into the future. <clears throat> now, the social engineering um, also would uh, teach people to like and dislike certain things, like the lower level um, uh, members of society, the lower castes, um, they would be given, you know, they'd be shown a book as an infant, 
and then if they touched the book, they'd get an electric shock, uh, and you know, or loud noises, you know, would scare them and startle them to give them an instinctual hatred of books. Now, people, you know, when you look at the present, this isn't done, you know, at least not openly in the present, but there does seem to be a lot of uh, society looking down on people who read books. Uh, people who read books are often seen as undesirables in the United States especially. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing how how much of an anti-intellectual um, tendency there is in this country. Uh, and again, you know, when Huxley's writing this, he's just sort of looking at things that he saw actually going on and extended them to what they might be like in the future. So how do the people, how are they kept under control if they're not, you know, living in constant fear? Well, in Brave New World, the way that people are kept under control is they're given uh, constant distraction. Um, they're, they're pushed to embrace pleasure and to avoid pain. Um, and with this constant distraction, lots of entertainments, uh, uh, you know, sex is, uh, you know, encouraged openly. Uh, in fact, you know, sex is encouraged as something that is... Uh, strictly for enjoyment because humans are no longer you know uh, made the old-fashioned way we're made in factories now so sex and reproduction have been untethered from each other and people are taught to pursue the pleasures of sex with as many people as as they want with as many as they can as long as they're in the same social class uh, and you know when you look at the present and you think, well, this doesn't really have much, well, wait a minute, yeah, it kind of does have a lot of um, connection with the present. If you think about how much sex is used everywhere, it's used in advertising, it's used in movies, it's used in television, um, pornography is all over the internet, it's very easy to find. Uh, it's, you know, society is pushed, not pushed as in forced, but kind of goaded towards these things. Uh, and in, you know, Brave New World, the reason for this is if you're, you know, running around having lots of sex, you're not thinking too deeply. You're not thinking about, uh, you know, is our society any good or, you know, should we be doing things differently? You're living your life, you know, completely distracted, completely out of um, the, the, you know, realm of worry. Uh, and, you know, think about how much distraction even outside of sex there is in modern society. You know, how many people will go very far without their phone? They're constantly watching videos or listening to music or watching television shows or movies um, and, you know, or sports. There, there's a steady stream of distraction. If you don't want to think, you absolutely do not have to. You can go to work, do your job, come home, and then completely unplug your mind and fill it with the most, you know, silly, trivial uh, entertainment that you want. Um, and, you know, this is something that uh, is a very effective method of control, and this is one of the things he talks about in Brave New World. Basically, you make everyone into slaves, and at the same time, you make them happy that they're slaves. And <clears throat> this 
takes away people's ability to actually be free because it takes away their ability to actually realize, hey, wait a minute, we're just, you know, we, we've been forced into slavery. We don't really have any choices. Uh, we're just being pushed from one, you know, mindless entertainment to the next. And even in, you know, this society, all of this is also supplemented with a drug that uh, is is used by everyone and encouraged. In fact, the government, you know, gives everyone a daily ration of this drug. It's called Soma. Now, there is no 100% equivalent of Soma today in our society, but basically look at how many pharmacological drugs there are out there. You know, drugs that you have anxiety, you're worried about the way things are going, here, take this, and you won't worry about it anymore. And that's what Soma was there to do. It was, one, to keep people from thinking too much, uh, to keep them, keep them from having any anxiety, depression, uh, any real deep thoughts. And it was also there to make them, excuse me, more suggestible so that whatever messages that the people who were running everything were putting out, the people would be more receptive to those messages. And so Brave New World really is um, a dystopia, because while on the surface it looks like everyone's happy, they're running around having lots of sex, taking drugs, not having any worries, uh, it's, it's actually just a more efficient means of controlling people so that the people who are controlling everything can control everything without having to worry about, you know, the people on the bottom going, hey, we're really not, you know, we're really being taken advantage of here. We're really not getting what we should be. We're not living lives that are fulfilling. And, the, you know, the SOMA was to help fill in that gap. So if the distractions alone weren't enough to keep you from thinking, you add the SOMA to it and you're able to, get away from thinking altogether. So there have been a lot of parallels drawn between Brave New World and the direction that society is actually heading. You know, think about how many people, rather than, you know, think about something, will just tune themselves out. You know, watch watch sports all day, or watch funny videos all day, or, you know, listen to songs they like all day. And it gives them a way of not having to deal with the reality of the world. The problem with this is when you don't deal with the realities of the world, especially in a system that's supposed to be represented, a representative system, those decisions all get made for you. And they're not necessarily going to be made um, in, in ways that benefit you. They're going to be made in ways that benefit the most the people that are making the decisions. So it's one way of keeping kind of on the surface this idea of, oh, we have a, you know, we have voting, we have a representative, you know, system, and at the same time making sure you have a population that is not really bright enough to understand or doesn't even care enough to understand what's really going on to make real intelligent decisions. And Huxley actually, when he wrote this, he felt that this was something that was far into the future when he wrote it in 1931. Um, by, the ni by 1961, he really started to realize that, no, this is probably something that's really going to bloom by the 21st century. And here we are in the 21st century, and like I said, you could have 
24 hours of whatever kind of distraction you want. Feeling depressed? There's tons of pharmacological drugs that will help you with that, help you with your anxiety. You know, people are programmed really not to think too deeply. And when you step back and actually look at this, you realize that this is the reason a lot of the things are going the way they're going. You know, when you let only a few people make all the real decisions and you keep everyone else out of it, the majority of the people are going to end up in the long run suffering. Okay, I'm going to break off this episode here. Um, I hope all of you are doing well and I hope all of you are staying safe. Have a good night.